In this episode, I want to talk about what it means for all of us to be one in Jesus Christ. You're listening to Onward in the Faith with Ray Burns. Ray is dedicated to equipping Christians to understand why they believe what they believe so that they can keep moving onward in their faith toward maturity in Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, visit patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. And make sure you visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. Now here's Ray with today's topic. I really enjoy watching Christians debate non-Christians about a variety of topics. Whenever I've watched a debate about whether homosexuality is compatible with the Bible, it is pretty much a guarantee that both sides of the arguments are going to go to some very key and obvious verses in God's Word to defend their position. Now, when it comes to those who believe that homosexuality is compatible with the Bible, the verse that many of them will kind of hang their argument on is found in Galatians 3.28. And the reason they use this, as we'll see when I read it, is they believe that what this verse teaches is that through Christ— Everything that distinguishes us has been done away with. In other words, God no longer cares about things like our race, our gender, or even our occupation. In the eyes of God, those things don't exist. And so we need to ask ourselves, if that's what's being said here, does this allow for homosexuality? Or is there something completely different going on here where homosexuality really isn't even part of the discussion? And that's really what I want to get into today. This is not a anti-homosexuality podcast episode. Uh, this is more or less actually the last time I'm going to deal with the topic of homosexuality because as we're going to see, when we dig into what this verse is saying, what's really going on here, and dig into the context of why Paul says what he says, I think that we can realize that, well, no, obviously this isn't talking about homosexuality, but what it is talking about is worth discussing. So the verse in question, like I said, is Galatians 3.28. And it says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. Now again, if we take this on its own, we can make it say really whatever we want, which is, I suppose, true of every verse in the Bible. If we aren't looking at the context, then all we can work with is what we immediately feel this verse is saying to us and whether it fits with a certain agenda that we have. And so if we are only reading this verse, then it's easy to look at it and say, oh, well, God has done away with all of these constraints that Christians actually put on society. So things like gender roles, we can make the argument that, well, see, there's neither male nor female, so there's no more roles within a marriage. A man isn't the one that has to lead, and a woman isn't the one that has to submit. Likewise, with the homosexuality debate, People will say, oh, well, see, there's neither male nor female, so how can homosexuality be a sin if God just sees two people loving each other? God's not seeing a man loving a man or a woman loving a woman. He's just seeing two people who love each other. And, you know, doesn't God want them to be happy? You know, why would God judge that if he doesn't even see their genders anymore? Because Jesus Christ did away with all those outdated constraints. And... As I've discussed in many episodes, you know, namely my one about how to read the Bible well, we get into very dangerous territory when we start just taking little pieces of verses and trying to fit it into our modern context and justify the things that we already want to believe. And so it's not enough for us just to look at what is being said, but why 
in this case, Paul, is saying what he's saying. Why is Paul talking about slaves and free people and Jews and Greeks and men and women? What's, what's the bigger context? What's the picture? What has Paul said before now that leads him to say this? And that's the majority of what I'm going to talk about is just what happened before now in the book of Galatians that led Paul to make a statement that seems to actually contradict things he says in other parts of the Bible, right? Because we've seen that Paul talks about gender roles within the church and within marriage. We've seen Paul talk about homosexuality. Why does he seem to be contradicting himself here? Well, before we can even get started, it's important to really understand what is going on in this letter to the church of Galatia. Because as always, you know, what we're reading isn't just an isolated bit of words. It was actually part of a letter written to a specific group of people at a very specific time in history. And now, Galatians in general, I love this book because what it really is, is an examination of how Jesus Christ has freed us from the requirements of the Mosaic law that we find in the Old Testament. So not just things like the Ten Commandments that we all know, but everything that we see within the first five books of the Bible, everything that Israel had to follow, the dietary laws, the clothing, everything about them has been done away with in the person of Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ perfectly kept the law in our place. His his righteous life, his perfect living on the cross was applied to us so that God looks at us as though we had lived the perfect life that Christ lived, as though we had perfectly kept the law all our lives. And what the book of Galatians does is it actually digs deep into people who were really living contrary to that, people who were trying to introduce new teaching and trying to bring that old Mosaic law with the diets and the holy days and all that back into some kind of communion with the freedom offered through the gospel. So they were trying to say, well, yes, you are free in Jesus Christ. Christ has, has paid the penalty for your sins. He has taken your full punishment from God. He's taken the wrath of God on him and given you his righteousness. But you also need to keep the law. You also need to, you know, keep, keep a finger in the Old Testament, if you will, and keep making sure that you're following all these laws. You have to do this. And so they were basically trying to live in complete contrast to everything that Jesus did on the cross, which was to free us from sin, to free us from works, from us having to earn salvation and earn our righteousness. And so, you know, Paul founded this church in Galatia and set them up with what we would assume is a solid understanding of the Bible. But then over time, you know, what we can assume are either Jews who were not truly Christians or you know, former Jews who didn't fully understand freedom from the law, they had come in and were starting to mix up everything that Paul had said and trying to introduce the law and put this yoke on this church here. And their basic argument is that, you know, Paul isn't a true apostle. What he said is false. You shouldn't follow Paul and what he said because he teaches you to live in lawlessness and in anarchy. And if you live the way that Paul says, where you don't follow the Jewish laws— then Christ's death isn't going to be enough for you. You're going to still be guilty for breaking all of these laws that you should be following in addition to relying fully on Christ for your salvation. Because ultimately that's kind of the idea behind following the law of God is that if we don't follow it, it's going to lead us into sin. And there's this idea that if we work, if we follow these laws, then we are righteous because of our works. And when we frame it that way, Basically, everything in the New Testament, we realize, stands in stark contrast to that, right? I mean, 
you know, the only thing that, you know, we, we see in Ephesians, the only thing that our works earn us is death. And it's only by the free gift of God that we get eternal life. And so that's the big context of what Paul is writing to at the very start of the book of Galatians. It's a church who has had false teachers or just bad teaching come in and trying to lay the burden of the law on people. And it's worth knowing that this wasn't just a church of Jewish Christians. It was a church of Greeks who had former Jews come in. And that adds another problem because these were Greeks who grew up in paganism and have now found freedom from paganism through the gospel. And now someone's coming in and telling them, no, no, now you need to follow these laws. Now you need to please God in this way. And it's just a big mess. But that big mess is why I love Galatians personally, because it just sets us free and really corrects all these bad thinkings that we have about the goodness of our works or how we have to earn God's favor. So understanding that, before we can get to Galatians 3.28, we want to go back to, right now, chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. And what we're going to see here is that Paul has kind of started doing a lot of housekeeping, you know, reminding this church where his authority came from and the work that Christ has done through Paul that they have seen so that these people can remember that, no, Paul's not this villain that he's being made out to be. He truly is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then Paul, in chapter 2, verses 15 through 16, really starts swinging and just really pulling no punches for what he needs this church to remember. And he says, We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law through faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. And so here, Paul's laying out very plainly. It doesn't matter if you are a Jew. You aren't suddenly saved or more righteous or more good in God's sight because of what you were born into, what your physical biology is. Whether you're Jew or whether you're a Greek, Paul is saying here that your works mean nothing before God. Your works cannot justify you before him. So following the law, trying to mix the law with the gospel, just it doesn't work because it takes the truth of Christ and what he freed us from and tries to take that bondage and shove it back into a life spent serving him. And then in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, I really love this because Paul is kind of flabbergasted at this point. He's taking what he knows he left this church with, you know, a good, solid, concrete understanding of the gospel, and says that, you know, brothers and sisters in Galatia, the only way you could have possibly fallen so far from the truth is if someone came in and cast a spell on you, if they hexed you, if they bewitched you. So listen to what he says here. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified, This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So again, Paul's just saying it is ridiculous to think that your works are what save you. That because you are Jews, the way that you were brought up or the law that you were given by Moses is somehow necessary for your salvation or for your righteousness. You know, and he says... 
Was it by the your works that you received the Spirit or through faith? Did you begin in the Spirit and were you being perfected by the Holy Spirit dwelling within you? Or were you being perfected by your works? You know, Paul is asking questions that should have an obvious answer of, no, we weren't justified by the law and we're not being justified and perfected by the law. You know, and again, the thing to understand about kind of the culture within Judaism at this time is that they assumed that because they were God's chosen people, they were somehow more unique or more holy or more guaranteed salvation because of their lineage, because of their bloodlines, you know, because they could trace themselves back to Abraham. They assumed, oh, well, of course we're saved. Of course we're justified before God. I mean, how, how could we not be? We, we belong to Abraham. We are physically connected to him. You know, we are part of the promise to him. That's what they assumed, because that seems to be an easy interpretation of God's promises to Abraham about all the nation being blessed through them and them being God's chosen people. And so now Paul's really going to get at that kind of mentality and saying that, you know, it's not because you have the law that you are justified. It's not because you are physically a part of Abraham that somehow you are more special or more unique. And so in Galatians 3, 19 through 22, Paul says, why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise has been made. Now, a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contradictory to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So here we see that, again, he starts off by saying the law doesn't make you more justified. because Just because Jews were given the law, that doesn't mean that they have this kind of secret to eternal life. Instead, Paul turns that on its head and says, you were given the law because you were so sinful. If you look back at the Old Testament, Israel loved their idolatry. They loved basically everything except obedience to their God. And so for, for these Jewish Christians to start bragging or trying to hold the law over people's heads and saying, look, we've been given this. We are special. We all need to get in line under this. Paul's saying, no, that law is a representation of how sinful and broken you were, that God had to give it to you to show how sinful you were, to show how broken you were. But then he goes on to say in that passage that I read that if a law had been given that was able to impart life, in other words, if the law, if following any series of rules, if any of our works could save us, then righteousness would have been based on the law. But we know that our righteousness is not based on the law. It is based purely on the person and work of Jesus Christ alone, that any bit of righteousness we have is not because we've earned it, but because we've been given it because of God's mercy to not give us what we deserve. He replaced our eternal punishment that we deserve with Christ's righteousness, not the law, not our works, not because we are good people or because for these Jews, because of their bloodline and their heritage. And then Paul keeps going after the law. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 to 25, which just is a continued thought from where we just were, he says, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become a tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. 
But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Now, if there's anything that makes it clear that we as Christians are not bound to follow the Old Testament law, it's when Paul literally says, the point of the law was to lead you to Christ, but because you have Christ, you don't need the law. Galatians 3, 23 to 25. Any question about should Christians keep the law? There it is for you. And this is important because just like we today struggle and think that we need to do something to earn our righteousness, these Christians likewise thought that they had to do something. Surely this beautiful gift of eternal life, of pure forgiveness of our sins, couldn't be so easy as it just being given to us in faith through Jesus Christ. There has to be more to it, right? There's got to be some fine print. There's got to be a catch. No way does anyone give an impossibly perfect and amazing gift like that with no strings attached. That is why we want to follow the law. That's why we want our good works to save us. Not because we think that Christ wasn't enough, but because we just can't fathom that this really is all there is to it. That it's purely through Christ that we are saved. And so now Paul, having dealt with the very misguided belief that Christians are somehow still under the law, that we still have to keep the law, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Greek, Paul now starts attacking another problem in the church. And it's important that we've dealt with the law up till now because every reason that these people of Jewish descent were putting emphasis on the law is because they were so obsessed with who they were, with their identity as Jews as opposed to Gentiles. And if you don't know your, your Bible history, you basically have two groups of people. You have Jews and not Jews. And not Jews are called Gentiles. So whenever you see the Bible talk about Gentiles, I'm going to guess that it's talking about you. You know, unless you are actually a, a of Jewish descent, you're a Gentile. Congratulations. Welcome to the club. And so now what Paul is doing, though, is he is addressing that line, because that line, that difference between Jew and Gentile has been so critical through all of Jewish history, through all the Old Testament. It was always really Israel against the world. Israel would go in and all these cultures would try to influence them and tear them apart and put them into slavery. And it would be God who would protect his people. God wouldn't protect these Gentile nations. God was always on the side of his people, of his chosen race. So surely, if you're Jewish, that's still in effect, right? Surely, you should be proud. You should feel honored. You should have some kind of protection or benefits or bonus from being Jewish. And so now we see in Galatians 3, 26 through 27, Paul goes after the idea that being a son of Abraham it somehow makes you more special. And he says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Now, if you're listening to this and you are a Gentile like me, this should cause immense celebration in your heart because what this is saying is that we don't have to somehow get grafted into physical Israel. We don't have to become Jews in order to be the people of God. You know, the, the mystery of God, the thing that no one ever saw in the Old Testament is that the Messiah who was coming wasn't coming to bring people into Israel, but to extend the family of God to all nations around the world, to take Jews and Gentiles and make them one, not distinct, not having one more privileged than the other, but that when it comes to our righteousness, when it comes to our identity and our value, we don't find it in who our parents were, but in who Christ is. 
Now, to give a, a quick overview of where we've gotten to this point, because remember, what we're talking about is Galatians 3.28, and we, are, we have just stopped right before that verse that people will use to say gender roles aren't a thing. Homosexuality can't be a sin because God doesn't see male and female. Keep in mind, up till now, everything that Paul has been dealing with is the law. We are not slaves to the law. One group of people is not better than another because of their heritage and their lineage. Paul says that the the law means nothing to us. The law brought us to Christ, but when Christ came in, the law went out. If we are in Christ, the law has no power over us. We have no requirements under the law because it was good for teaching us that we are sinful, right? That we that when we lie, when we are angry, when we lust, when we blaspheme God, those are crimes before God. But through Christ, all our crimes have been paid for, so we cannot be held accountable for what has been paid. Our debt is clear through Jesus Christ. And so any privilege that the Jews may have had because they had the law, that's gone away with because the law is no longer part of our lives. So no one is better because they are Jewish. No one is better because they're Gentile. We are all one because if we belong to Christ, then we are a son of God. So remembering that, let's now read Galatians 3.28. And because we want to read the Bible responsibly, we're going to keep the thought going and read the verse after it. So Galatians 3, 28 through 29. Let's see if this leaves room for the modern understanding of homosexuality being greenlit by the Bible because of this verse. So here Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants heirs according to promise. So we are not part of physical Israel, but we are part of spiritual Israel. In other words, through the blood of Jesus Christ, who we are, what our identity is, means absolutely nothing. Instead, all that matters is that because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and because he has brought us in to his family, we can share in the same way that the physical Jews can share in the promises of Abraham, because Abraham's promise wasn't for physical Jews, but for spiritual, because that's what God always had in mind. God always had in mind this bigger family of creating his people, spiritually speaking, instead of only offering salvation or only offering the promise to this physical group. So now, understanding all that, one, I think we can say it's clear that this verse is saying absolutely nothing about gender the way that we may understand it, whether it's gender roles, whether it's, you know, is homosexuality compatible with the New Testament? We just can't make it work here because Paul didn't have that in mind. The readers of this letter in the church of Galatia never had it in mind. No one has had it in mind because when we read everything that leads up to this, it just doesn't fit. It, it can't. It makes no sense because Paul has no comment in mind about sexuality or roles within a marriage or society. And so when we use that bad interpretive method where we just isolate the verse and make it say what we want, we don't add power to the Bible. We don't make Jesus more attractive. What we actually do is rob God's word of its power. Because what's being said here goes so far beyond preferences and culture and things like that. It's not about 
politics. It's about Jesus Christ. You know, because consider what this actually meant to the people of that time. You know, because in that society, if you were a man, you were more important than a woman. You had more value. If you were a slave, you had less value than someone who was free. And if you were a Jew, it was assumed that you were privileged, that you were better because you were a descendant of Abraham. So if you were a free Jewish male, you had it all going for you. If you were a Greek female slave, you were the bottom of the barrel. In terms of society, that is what it looked like back then. Men were always better than women. Jews were always better than Gentiles, and free men were always better than slaves. That was the understanding of that time. And so the more positive boxes you could tick, the better your odds were of entering into the kingdom of God. So if you were a free Jewish male, of course you were going to heaven. Look at all the favor God has shown you, all the blessings he's given you. He made you a guy. He made you free. He let you be born a Jew and not a Gentile. Life is awesome for you, right? That was the worldview. That was the assumption. That is what the Church of Galatia was dealing with. And so understanding the culture and then understanding what Paul said, just picture the faces of the people as this letter was being read out loud. When you had rich men dressed nicely and slaves sitting on the floor, when you had men in the front and women in the back, when you had people of Abraham's bloodline looking down their noses at people who were Gentiles. And Paul reads this. Oh, the awkwardness of that room that had to be there. Because what Paul says is everything you assume about your worth, your value as human beings, about who you are in Jesus Christ is completely wrong. Because men, you guys in the front, you are just as valuable in Jesus Christ as those women that you shoved to the back. Slaves sitting on the floor, you are just as valuable as those free people sitting in the seats. And people of Jewish descent, you are just as important and just as valuable as your brothers and sisters who happen to be Gentiles. All of you are one in Jesus Christ. So what is this verse saying? What is this passage really telling us? Ultimately, what we should take away from this isn't that God is blind to gender, but that he doesn't place our value and our identity on our gender, on our heritage, on our social status. You know, nothing in God's word supports the idea that somehow this verse says that God is blind to everything or that he's done away with gender roles or slaves and masters or Jews and Greeks. I mean, we have passages where Paul actually talks about all of this. I mean, the book of Philemon is literally a book or a letter written to a slave master about his slave. And in no part of that does Paul end this slave servitude, but instead tells them to think of each other as equals under Jesus Christ. You know, because on the day of judgment, God's not going to look at everyone and say, you know, are you guilty of being a woman? Are you guilty of being a slave? Are you guilty of being born a Greek or an Egyptian? Instead, he's going to look at people and say, are you guilty of breaking the law? Are you guilty of lying, of deceit, of anger, of theft, of murder, of not giving glory to God, of, of disobeying your parents? Are you guilty of those things? And when we understand 
what God's requirements are, what God truly cares about, and what we're going to be judged for, we're going to realize that we are all equal before God because we are all equally guilty of breaking his law. We are all equally deserving of eternal damnation. And we are all completely undeserving of his grace in sending Jesus Christ to be born as a human being, to suffer a life of humiliation, to be brutalized on a cross, to take the wrath of God upon himself, the only human being in all of existence who has never deserved to be punished, took the greatest punishment of all in our place. And what does he do? He takes his good life, his good works, and he puts them on us and says, God, look at them as you look at me. Look at them as though they kept the law perfectly, as though they've never sinned. Treat them as your children who deserve no punishment. In that way, we're all equal in Jesus Christ because we are all equally forgiven of the worst crimes in the universe. We are all wretched enemies of God who, without Jesus Christ, would probably still be sitting here hating God every moment of our lives. And so for our own personal lives, it's important to read this passage in Galatians like that. But we can also realize that if we are all equal to God, then we need to treat people as equals before God. You know, and I don't want to rob it of what this does mean for our society. You know, as Christians, we can't place some kind of weird value on, you know, men are better than women or someone with a high paying job is better than someone that has to, you know, push carts at Walmart. You know, things like racism and sexism and classism are not compatible with Christianity because what we have to do is we have to say one human being has higher value than another based on their status, based on what their skin is or what their bloodline is or what their gender is. You know, as Christians, it's not that we are blind to gender. It's that we are beyond saying that someone has more value based on being male or female, being old or young, being attractive or ugly. You know, Christ has never once looked at us and said, oh, you're, you're young. You have more value to me. You were born to a wealthy family. You're much more important. You're attractive. I can use you more in my service. If Christ only looks at us and sees a redeemed people who are all equally valuable but have different roles to play, then as his followers, we likewise want to look at people and look at ourselves and see that we are all different and that God does have roles for some of us different than others. But we as Christians cannot look at someone and devalue them simply because of what we see on the outside. You know, and in the end, I think we should be very thankful that God doesn't use our measurement to judge us. The way that we judge others, we are so thankful that God doesn't use that to judge us. Because when God looks at us, he sees one thing, and that's the perfect life of Jesus Christ. The righteousness given to people who could do absolutely nothing to deserve it. That is our identity in Jesus Christ. And that is our value in Jesus Christ. And that is what Galatians 3.28 is telling us. Thank you for listening to this discussion about Galatians 3.28 and whether it has anything to do with homosexuality. I hope that it has been useful. I hope it has been enlightening. And above all, I hope it's been encouraging. I hope that you see yourself and those around you more clearly and in the way that God sees them, understanding that God does see our gender. He does see 
what we do and where we are in life, but he doesn't use that to value us. Instead, it's just a place that he has us. If we were born man or woman, that was because that was God's purpose for our lives, and we want to glorify him with that. If we were born rich or poor, or if we were born Jewish or Gentile, that's because that is God's perfect will for our lives, and he wants us to glorify him with that life. So as discussions come up, as people use this verse to promote a more modern worldview, I hope that you feel equipped to take people to God's word and not just say, no, here's what the verse means, but here's what the book of Galatians means. Here's why Paul said what he said, because ultimately we can argue with people all the day long, but if God's word is our highest authority, then all we have to do is dig into God's word, read more than just a single verse, and from there, work with our brothers and sisters in Christ to find truth. So if you have enjoyed this episode, if you want to be a part of this ministry, you can support me every month. There is a link in the show notes to my Patreon where you can pledge as little as $1 every month. And you know, while a dollar or five bucks may not mean much to you every month, it means a lot to me because it helps me to pay for everything associated with running a blog and a podcast. So understanding who you are in Jesus Christ, I hope you'll keep moving onward in your faith toward maturity in Christ.